And welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me today is... Uh, Scotty Hertz, and uh, even though I didn't develop any superpowers with it, I have ended up fully vaxxed, Adam, so... I guess mm-hmm. I really shouldn't be disappointed at all. <laughs> should be overjoyed, but the only superpower I had was sleeping all day. Pretty much both days of the weekend, but um, there's more and more of us out there. It sounds like 20% in the, across the country as of today, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. this is all mm-hmm. good. Yeah, um, bummer about uh, not becoming Magneto or whatever. <laughs> That's uh, what I was hoping but... for, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll have to just take not dying of COVID as an acceptable That's... superpower. The only superpower we can have after 16 months of uh, training for it, right? That's right. Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. This week, though, we will uh, not be playing an interview. We're just going to play some audio from the event a few weeks ago at the Guelph Muslim Society about fighting Islamophobia and fighting hate in our communities. Uh, that was right before they did that big march down Water Street uh, from the, the Guelph Muslim Society to Royal City Park, and it was massive, shutting down some a lot of some very busy streets in Guelph. So uh, we're going to get the audio from that event at the bottom of the hour, and before that, we are going to discuss the imminent withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan. Is it going to ultimately help or hurt the Afghan people uh, pulling out after 20 years. But first, uh, it is the end of the parliamentary session. And uh, everyone has the senioritis this week. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Maybe not. There were some pretty big votes. Uh, C-10 got its third reading. It is now off to the Senate. Uh, There was also a... Uh, what was it? A bill, a bill that got third reading, that uh, would ban conversion therapy. Everyone mm. voted for it except for sixty-one conservative MPs, which is probably not what you want to see if you're the conservative leader. Especially since almost every everyone agrees we are heading into an election this fall. Yes, and if there's anybody that has to do the most uh, polishing of the image, it would be O'Toole, without a doubt. Um, yeah, it's it, b- both us, the, the pundit class, the political class, you, you hear it uh, at the end of almost every sentence when they talk federal politics these days, like it's either with an election looming or with a possible election looming in the fall. It mm-hmm. almost, it's almost in worst kept secret territory at this point, right? It's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not so subtle anymore. It started off subtle, but now it's kind of like, yeah, when they, um, the election will be when the liberals decide it's going to be at this point, right? They're going mm-hmm. to, when they, you know, the calculation will be made. It's like, okay, we can launch ourselves into majority territory and then take full advantage of strategic advantage of what's been going on. Personal, my personal take on it is, is I think they're hoping for, and it's looking that way that they can declare pandemic victory. That will be that will be the launch. That will be the sort of positive 
I, I'm, I'm fairly sure if we have polls in the fall, there will still be provisions for health. There has to be, I would imagine. Mm. Unless unless the graph does start shooting back up again. We're all looking at that at the COVID graph right now saying, oh, man, this is great that it's going down. But it has gone up again in the past. I don't want to be a, a downer about it. But, you know, mm. this is round three or whatever. But if we can get enough people vaccinated. So I think that's part of what they're holding on for. Um. But yeah, I, I, I also think, I don't think that, uh, I almost called him Peter O'Toole. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how well known he is. He's, he's just like Peter O'Toole. You know, he's not like Peter O'Toole. No. Aaron O'Toole. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If he stays as unknown as he seems to be with, with Canadians, it's, it, it's unlikely the conservatives are going to gain the traction that they will need to not even majority but to break or to you know to kind of have a rerun of 2019 and and end up where we are now but with a with a stronger conservative presence um mm-hmm. i i can't i can't see that happening there, there's no signs on the horizon saying that o'toole is the rising star and he is laying in wait to become prime minister there really isn't no and i found myself somehow reading a conrad black uh, uh op-ed in the national post Yikes. that were i know <laughs> but <Are> okay I, I, <laughs> it was pandemic spring i was reading, I was, reading black. Some, I was reading something else in the national post and i just saw this and i saw it was written by conrad black and i thought to myself dare i and then i did um but no, Conrad Black, I mean, is probably emblematic of just how far off the beaten path he has strayed. But, you know, he was t- uh, going after Aaron O'Toole for essentially not going full Bernier against Trudeau by, like, not standing up against, like, lockdown restrictions and oh. border closures. This is kind of what um, he was getting at, which is definitely lunatic fringe territory which is also definitely not going to help O'Toole and is kind of the one thing that's holding him back now I mean it hasn't been a spectacular spring session I mean and that's not to say that uh, Justin Trudeau has been like scooping up one-ups and coins all up and down the the, the map it, you know that's a Super Mario reference for our older listeners but mm-hmm. the um, you know, so Trudeau hasn't a good spring session either, and I mean, it, it happened again this week with China going to the uh, the Human Rights Council in Geneva and saying, you know what, you guys should investigate Canada for their residential school stuff, and then bringing Iran, Russia, Belarus, Venezuela, all the cool kids on the block along with them, which I mean, everybody knows it's like this smells like bad and disingenuous and it's both sides of them, but I mean, it's just, it, it would be wicked easy for O'Toole to point to this as another knock against Trudeau and weakness on the world stage. But Aaron O'Toole can't make those points because they in this spring session, again, they just had that vote on Tuesday of where 61 members of his caucus said, you know what? Conversion therapy? It's not so bad. We shouldn't have to ban it. And then a few weeks ago, there was another um, private member's bill on sex-selective abortion that almost everyone in the conservative caucus voted for and it's it's this thing that they keep trying again and again it's the 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 wedge it's the literal wedge where we're trying to have this vote to ban sex selective abortion which of course shouldn't happen but at the same time everybody smells what it is and then what's 
I realize that time moves differently now, but wasn't it just a few months ago where Aaron O'Toole announced, don't call it a carbon tax, carbon tax? And mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, you know, he has to, he's so busy fighting, like putting out small fires in his own camp. Um, it's no wonder at this point the liberals have, um, oh, geez, I wrote down the numbers and everything. Um, 35.8% support nationally mm-hmm. against um, the conservatives with 30.1% support, you know, and to go back to the 2019 numbers as well, the liberals got 33.12% and the conservatives got 34.34%. So it's, it's not a complete reversal, but you know, the, this time two years ago, the conservatives had 35% and the liberals had, you know, 33 and the liberals still come out ahead because of the way seats are are allocated so i mean aaron o'toole can't fool himself any number that goes down or the the bigger the difference between liberals and conservatives with liberals in first and conservatives in second you know that's that's bad for him he like he has to really not only does he have to run the board he has to run the board like far ahead of the liberals if he has any hope of knocking them off and forming the next government and there just really doesn't seem to be any sign of doing that again despite the the numerous notches against Trudeau, whether that's the borders still closed, a lot of pressure on that, vaccine distribution stuff, there's a lot of stuff about that, the military uh, misconduct thing, the ombudsman saw today, like saying, take the handcuffs off so I can independently, you know, mm-hmm. police police these organizations right. You know, there was a guy in question period uh, on Tuesday who was like getting up and saying, why hasn't Harjit Singh been resigned yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just <laughs> Kazan or not not Kazan. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I saw that bit as well. I'm like, oh my goodness. Wh- whoever he is, yeah. Like there are so many places from which they can start to to saw the legs on on the liberal table, but you know, there's at the same time there are like people in his own house who are sawing his legs off. I don't know where that metaphor is coming from or where it's yeah. going. <laughs> Saw the movie, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, it is. Actually, it does feel like Saw the movie. Justin and Aaron are in a bathroom somewhere, chained to the sink, and they have to decide whose leg they're going to saw off to escape, basically. And standing outside are, let's put uh, Jagmeet Singh and uh, possibly Anime Paul out there, uh, sort of outside looking in. Not completely. Uh, yeah, you're right about O. It, it isn't just O'Toole. It's that schism, right? Yeah. If he if he can't manage to heal that, which it would seem that's why he was elected uh, to that job, and he's mm. he's well, he's he's done, put it this way: he's not doing a very good job at it, right? Like, <laughs> if it, put it, I'm gonna say, if people had hopes that he was going to be the you know, to bring everybody together, and like Sheer wasn't able to, right? Um, if you can't do that, in addition to gaining any traction with with Canadians, they're they're just they're going to be sidelined. So the one, well, I was going to say the ones to watch, but the one to watch at least for Trudeau is actually going to be Singh, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. it's it he it, it's unavoidable that that the the if the Liberals start to use lose progressive vote, it's going to go in all likelihood that way. It's going to go. NDP and you know where where are the votes the votes are and the rest of Canada hates this but the the seats are Ontario and Quebec right you carry Ontario Quebec mm-hmm. you've you virtually 
got it made, right? So if the NDP start to rise in Quebec or other forces too, including the Bloc, and shut the Liberals out a bit more there, that's going to be a problem for them. And to, and to mention the, the, the Greens, like the, the Greens, similar to the Conservatives, have their own little, well, it may even be worse, the little self-destruction thing that we've spoken about already <laughs> going mm. on about it is going to take a heck of a save to recover from that if it's a fall election the fall is is mere three months away right is that mm. right yeah we've just had the solstice so it's three months <laughs> away Duh. well if, um, yeah, yeah if they if it's fall, yeah yeah, we're so, not. We're assuming there's an election, but if there is an election, it will probably be. It, they'll probably be called at the end of summer. So, I uh, see. I was going to say October, but yeah, th- this is the thing. Everybody's everybody's speculating differently as to when it'll yeah. happen. I would, I would say they might push for a bit later. Uh, read the almanac and make sure the weather is good, but also <laughs> sticking with the is everybody vaccinated and is COVID definitely on the decline theory, then the fall would make uh, more sense. But yeah, it was, it was odd this week, this past week to hear the, uh, the final speeches from people that aren't running again, mm-hmm. because that, that's, that always has a sense of finality too, right? It's like, okay, they're, they're not coming back, but they possibly might be coming back. Right. So it's like, they, I, do they, when it's a minority situation, do they have these speeches before uh, Parliament closes for the summer? Well, that's the. Th- I mean, that's the real thought. I'm hearing this, and I was like, oh yeah. So that that immediately in people who follow politics minds, you, you have this sort of like, oh yeah, the final speeches. So there must be an election coming, right? It's it's almost subconscious, right? That. Well, that's the real thing, isn't it? That, you know, it plays into what you said, where everyone agrees there's going to be an election in the fall, but no one will say there's an election in the fall. Like, it's not scheduled. It's not, um, you know, uh, the the pre-planned date or anything like that. It just seems to be an acceptable fact that this fall there's going to be an election. I mean, there are reasons for that. I think that, I don't think there are any provincial elections scheduled for this fall. I think, you know, last year, five provinces went we know ontario doesn't go till next spring um so i mean uh, quebec also i think went after ontario in 2018 but before the federal election mm-hmm. so i mean so, so ontario and quebec there's no they're not going to be an election this fall so you know it's probably like the clearest spot because next this time next year you get into uh the ontario provincial election and then all the municipalities in ontario so you know you right. don't want to be fighting it out federally at the same time these <laughs> these other two races are going on because there is some overlap so i think it's just like sort of accepted wisdom it's like we know we're not going to make it to the 2023 so if we're going to go we might as well go now and i think that's just where we I, you know remember too in 2008 when uh after the you know stephen harper just got, gets to the end of summer and you know there were i think there was a lot of bad news stories that summer uh, for the Harper government. So like right before Labor Day, he goes and sees the governor general and says, you know what? I don't think we're going to come back <laughs> and have a government. So let's have an election instead. And, and then, and, and that's kind of what happened. And mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, that could very well be the case. Like we get to Labor Day and Justin Trudeau's like, eh, maybe we're not going to have parliament this fall. Maybe we'll have an election. But I mean, who, I, I think that also depends on, 
um, what happens in the summer. Like if it's a if it's a really good news summer, um, Trudeau might do that. If it's a real mm-hmm. if if there's like hiccups and stuff, uh, like more stuff comes out about we or more stuff comes out about military dis- misconduct, maybe they do bring Parliament back in the fall and they set up a situation where they have a confidence motion that forces. Uh, Canada to go to the polls because that seems like kind of a sneaky liberal thing to do is to you know don't you make made us, us go yeah yeah don't <laughs> right. make us have an election right so I I would not put that I mean so it's just you know my weather forecast is if it's a, if it's a nice happy sunny summer uh, Trudeau's gonna be pretty rare to go but if it's uh, a dismal uh, bad summer in the news for, for the Trudeau government, then, you know, it, it, we may see, we may have a couple of weeks of parliament before an election. So sunny way season three coming this fall, right? Oh yeah. my goodness. And of course it's a twist because season three, the sunny ways are actually gone. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, that, that show prison break where they actually break out of prison at the end of the first season. And then they're on the run in season two, but then they go to another prison in season three. Mixing it up. Yeah, Exactly. Or anyway. in the upside down or wherever you are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so speaking of stories that never end, uh, the Afghan war, uh, almost 20 years. Uh, it has uh, been going on now. It will almost definitely come to an end on September the 11th, 2021. If not before, the United States are pulling out all forces. Um, that could be completed in the next month. So it could be completed well ahead of schedule but there are complications the taliban are on the march shall we say they are uh had a number of recent victories uh afghan government forces have surrendered in about a dozen different territories uh four major operation centers have been defeated and taken by the taliban uh and there are literally thousands and thousands of people who were promised for their efforts in helping the americans fight in FF, in in afghanistan that they would be brought to america where they wouldn't have to worry about uh members of the taliban breaking into their house and killing them in retaliation and their families so uh i think this is one of those things that I mean, the, the Afghan war has been, it feels like it's been off the radar for so long. And then, I don't know about you, but once I started sort of digging into the news and the research about this, mm-hmm. it's pretty messed up there right now. Oh, it's 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 incredibly complicated. There's so many yeah. angles to it. I mean, this, as we know, they was it was in, I guess it was February 2020, where the Trump administration, remember them, <laughs> signed, the, <laughs> signed the peace deal. Uh, in, <laughs> it was in Qatar, right? Peace uh-huh. deal with the Taliban, and the Taliban had promised at that point to uh, prevent terrorism. So this this was the initial in two thousand one, as we know. The U.S. went in looking for Bin Laden, or no? They they asked the, it was the Taliban government at that point, and they're like, "Well, I know you proved to us that he's here," and they're like, "No, no, no, we're coming to get Bin Laden, Al Qaeda." Right. Anybody else involved with the 9-11, which I guess that's why they're aiming for the symbolic pullout date of September 11th. Mm-hmm. 20 years later, we're almost at the point where it could be a reset to 2001 with the Taliban in charge. And then all of these other players on on the periphery, including the 
the not just the nations that surround um afghanistan pakistan in particular where there's a, a very deep link and crossover between uh taliban back and forth and part of the issue too is the al-qaeda members in the taliban so that's the subset of people there's the taliban who want an Islam an islamic state but not the islamic state as an isis isis mm. are also in Af- active in afghanistan and if there's one thing that the U.S. and the Taliban and everybody has in common is that they all hate ISIS, right? <laughs> so if there's an attack, and it'll be like, if the Taliban says it isn't them, it probably isn't them. It's probably ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's all this, this overlapping uh, stuff that's almost impossible to make sense of. But it sounds like as the forces, the U.S. and NATO forces are pulling back, the Taliban who've been playing this long game and who are very well-equipped and well-funded uh due to you know allegiances in the areas in Afghanistan and money coming from elsewhere like and weapons they just they just move in so it's like the forces pull back the forces make sure they don't leave anything behind it's for like you know whatever take everything with you to demolish it and then the Taliban just kind of sweep in and they've done that in 50 uh I guess it's provinces there right 50 mm-hmm. regions so far um and some of them has been fighting so I think the way that the Taliban look at it it's like Okay, if we're fighting the the Afghanistan government, then we're not you know we're not fighting the U.S. right. So it's it's more mm-hmm. of like a it becomes a civil war at that point, rather than versus the U.S. and versus the other third parties, NATO, and the rest of the world. So it's like it's complicated, super mm-hmm. complicated. Right, and it gets even more complicated. I mean, because there are places in like the west, uh, the northern part of Afghanistan, where the the people there are kind of they're not affiliated with the Taliban or the government. You know, they've gone along with the government because you know why not? It's <laughs> better to go along, get along. But I mean, people who have been in bed with basically everyone, uh, at least politically speaking, and you know, it, it's important to recognize the Taliban itself is not terribly popular in afghanistan if people had the choice they probably would not want the taliban back but as you noted it is kind of its own military force so the question is like you know they're sweeping into like these sort of let's call them more rural areas places that aren't heavily populated what happens when they start setting their sights on um kabul or kandahar like, do they have the military resources to be able to not only take a city like that, but to hold it a city like that, like to hold the seat of government? Um, you know, they are undoubtedly strong and capable and well-equipped, but, I mean, this has also been a 20-year-long war. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if is, 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 the, is the threat... That of them like completely taking over again, so vividly real. Um, there's a chance, but at the same time, there are you know people smarter than me and more engaged in foreign affairs than me have noted that you know there's also an equally good possibility that the Taliban might use its military victories um, as as kind of leverage to get power in a. Um, in the in, in the Afghan government, that there could be a struggle there. It seems well, the thing that seems clearest is like the Taliban are not going away, um, and that seems like a very unlikely scenario too. That the the Afghan government will be able to um, keep 
te- keep the Taliban out of government entirely. Uh, but it also seems just as unlikely that there might this whole thing might devolve into civil war. I mean, you could also make an argument that they've been in a state of civil war for the last twenty years. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know that also seems equally unlikely. The question is like, how power hungry is the Taliban, and you know, can and and how like how much power is enough, and can they both can they agree with the the other factions in Afghanistan to like hold hold some kind of country together without it being like violent and descending into civil war. So, but I mean, it, it that's, I mean, that, that's, that's always been the question too, <laughs> that uh, has sort of kept the U S in, in Afghanistan this long. So, mm. you, know, you know, and it, it's a, it's a question nobody's really ever been able to answer. So if anything else, we're finally going to be able to see it's like, can the Afghans rule themselves without, you know, the heavy hand of the U.S. and country. So Yeah, because it's always, well, we're, we're going to have democratic elections, but that only lasts until someone like the Taliban or, or whatever, you know, eliminate the ability to do that, right? So uh-huh. I don't know if it's we're going to see you know, one round of elections and it's just going to you know, dissolve into some kind of chaos, as like I said, back in in 2001 well not chaos but chaos with the the, the taliban in charge the u.s spent a trillion dollars there mm-hmm. in 20 years and couldn't put it right but most of that was on the war itself but they i think it was upwards of pushing 400 billion in mm-hmm. projects so they've they've laid infrastructure in places right there's it's not you know there there has to be uh something there but of course it was at the cost of like Hundred thousand dead Afghani's, if I understand it right, and a good percentage of the majority of those were civilians mm-hmm. and international soldiers, American soldiers. But well, Biden called it. You said forever, it was going on forever. Biden said it more than once: the forever war. Mm-hmm. So they finally said it's. I'm not even sure whether it's cut the losses. It's like okay, we achieved what we wanted to do. We got Bin Laden at a massive, massive cost, and maybe put a put a dent in insurgencies like ISIS. I think they're trying to come up with some kind of, and I'm not sure who, sure who they're doing this deal with. I'm going to assume it's the um, Afghanistan government with possible uh, side talks with the Taliban in terms of keeping a, in, an anti-terror force there so they can go after ISIS. Because as I said, no one likes ISIS. So I, they, they may <laughs> yeah. not be against, They may. it, it would be this weird detente i guess if you have u.s forces there or other they may accept it if it's special forces um as it was in the iraq war where it's it's not necessarily the u.s military but contractors going after isis right um so yeah they're they're trying to do this deal as they're as they're pulling out it's like well can we just leave some people there there so we can get you know keep al-qaeda and isis in check but there's because that's ongoing there was like a, a mosque bombing the bombing of that girls school, right? There was a charity. I think that was this week. I read there was a, ch- a, a mine clearing charity because there's so many mines. There's probably mines left from when the Soviets were there. Yeah, uh, yeah. They were attacked and, and killed as well. And of course the Taliban, the ta- they blame the Taliban. The Taliban is like, it's not us. It is in all likelihood. They don't, they don't say it is in all likelihood ISIS, but it is these other forces, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
that that that's the that's the wild card in this is like is is it going are you going to see this you know taliban taking over enough that they're in charge whether officially or unofficially and then you have this sidebar of terror attacks which is what's supposedly what uh, the u.s and the nato forces went in to uh, reduce or eliminate in the first place so it's like it's a reset to zero if that's the case right yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the ultimate irony in all of this is that the, the war went on so long that the that there are probably young people like newly, I was going to say newly drafted, but you don't get drafted anymore, but newly enlisted um, who were born after the attacks of 9-11, which were almost 20 years ago. And you have to be 18 to serve in the U.S. Armed Forces and be sent overseas. So, like, it's entirely possible that some kid who he or she never having uh been alive when the 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 plane struck the towers are still you know sort of paying the price for that by by being in country and but again it all comes down to like there have been a hundred and one theories about what's going to happen when the u.s leaves and they have all sort of barred the from a president from actually pushing the button and pulling out all troops up to and including trump by the way who was evidently from reports was all about getting troops out like wanting that to be like one of his legacies as president and so we're finally going to see what happens and i mean in in a country like afghanistan uh the only certainty is more uncertainty so what i know is that we certainly have to take a break here and come right back and play some audio from the guelph muslim society uh, March a couple of weeks ago, you are listening to Open Source Guelph here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. If you pursued me, I wouldn't have to pretend. And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records. Doors open at 21. Mm-hmm. MacDonnell. I guess you should probably contact them for what's going on on any particular day. Whether you can just waltz in or I don't know what. Anyway, that uh, song is number 22 on the CFRU charts. The album is actually. It's called Escape from Planet Devourers. The band is called The Devourers. And the song is the theme from Drifters. 1976 maybe you should uh, review drifters on end credits or maybe it's just a faux movie and doesn't really exist altogether adam i have no idea <laughs> it sounds like it should be a film uh yeah maybe i'll look that up as we're playing the thing but uh i mean anyway. a C movie probably i would imagine right <laughs> uh i i mean granted i am not uh the most profound movie expert but 
Oh, I think I, you do all right for yourself. Yeah. I well, maybe. Anyway, uh, let's throw this to the audio. Um, a few weeks ago, the Guelph Muslim Society had this march in solidarity with uh, what happened in London, uh, the murder of four people, uh, a family there by a white supremacist. And so we're just going to play a bit of um, some of the the audio that uh, some of the, the comments that uh, were said before the march predominantly here is uh, Imam Mubin Bhatt. And uh, he will uh, you will hear his voice first. And uh, yeah, so, you know, just in, 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 in the importance of keeping up the fight against Islamophobia and hate, um, we're going to... Uh, Make sure everybody in the community hears this and use our platform to help spread that message. So, away we go. Before I start, this kind gentleman, Taha here, I believe he didn't introduce me correctly. So I'm going to offer a brief introduction of myself, since I see a whole lot of new faces here this afternoon. Also, since I might seem a little bit different, I might be dressed different. My religion might be different. My, my race might be different. So I would like a formal introduction of myself. <clears throat> and it's very simple. I am a Canadian. Now you're probably asking, well, okay, well everybody here is a Canadian, but I'm not just an ordinary Canadian. And I'll highlight why. My children happen to be fourth-generation Canadians. My father migrated here, and I'm going to share an incident about my, one of my children who went to school, just to give us an idea of what fourth-generation Canadians have to face. Imagine first-generation Canadians. So we send our daughter off to school in junior kindergarten, and a month passes by, everybody's happy. And one day I overhear her at home calling her siblings brownie. <clears throat> the only brownie we ever spoke about in our homes was the one that goes in the oven and we enjoy. So I called her aside, I said, hey, my love, what's with this brownie? She says, well, they call us that at school. I said, whoa, are you serious? So I phoned the principal, I said, you know, I tried to get contact with the principal regarding this issue. Nobody would budge, nobody would talk. And we are generational Canadians now. It might not seem that, but you can probably notice it from my tongue here. Anyway, so she still didn't reach out. I had to get the Ministry of Education involved and then they realized this man means business. The reason why I share this story is these issues that we face today are real. They're a reality. I spoke about a racial issue. It's a long story, so I'm not going to get into the details of my incident, but pr productively here. So we have, we have, we've been indoctrinated over time to have issues of racism or of a intolerance to another person based on their faith, for that matter. And these, these issues have been along, here all along. If we think about the story, all faiths know the two sons of Adam, they fought. And it was just bickering on small issues. Imagine 
So this is a norm in society. You might not like someone based on their color. You might not like someone because of their faith. But that's an emotion, that's self-harm. That's self-inflicted. When you dislike a faith, when you dislike a race, that's self-inflicted harm. But when you're indoctrinated and you breed ideology of hate, that's where your problem becomes external. That's where our problem becomes external. Now your hate is being expressed like it was expressed when a family was gone for a walk. And so what are the solutions to this hate or the development of this hate? My daughter being in junior kindergarten, their age is three and a half years of age. Who is teaching, who is teaching the children that are using bigotry or racial slurs in the class against someone different who's teaching them? The three and a half year old was born like that? So we need to ask ourselves in our homes, in our churches, in our mosques, what are we preaching? Intolerance or tolerance? As parents, what am I teaching my children? Guaranteed, those children that were calling my daughter a brownie, their parents were calling others brownies too. That's where she got it from. She's innocent. A three and a half year old is innocent. So we are indoctrinating our progenies into hate. Let me remind us, if Muslims were that way, let me talk about my faith. I was born here, yet I still chose to study all faiths and decided Islam is the way for me. Like the millions and billions of others have, and like we heard the, the, the poem before we started, Islam has nothing to do with intolerance. Islam has nothing to do with injustice. Otherwise, how is it my parents did not teach me to be a bigot against someone different? We were, we were always a minority, yet I still loved every color. I still loved every faith. I still loved every size. I still loved every race. Because my parents taught me that. My faith taught me that. Remember, don't be simply indoctrinated by a video, by a WhatsApp video, by a Facebook post, or by some news agency. Investigate, ask your neighbor, is he have an issue? How is she doing? How is he doing? Reach out to the Muslims, see who they are, how they are. I'm telling you, the blood that's beneath their skin is just the same color as every other one of you here tonight. So don't just share random information, investigate, get to know, get to know one another, get to recognize, dig deep, recognize, what is the, what, the, the, is it truly the Islamic faith that teaches this? And you'd be dumbfound. You know, we've been surveilled, speaking about law enforcement. We've been surveilled for the decades we've been existent in Canada. How many times you seen a, a priest or a Islamic scholar charged with any kind of hate crime. I've been preaching for over a decade now, but I've been surveilled, but yet never, never have I uttered a word of hate against any race or religion. This is the platform of Islam. This is what my faith has taught me to be a loving, a grateful, a, a productive individual in society. 
Law enforcement needs to redirect their resources onto what? Onto wherever the hate's coming from. Hate, Islam does not equal hate. Politicians, no more photo ops. Today is no photo op. Today is reality. We want to feel comfortable. I, trust me, I'm pretty comfortable under my skin here. You probably noticed that. But first-generation Canadians are probably not so comfortable. I've already heard, I've already had calls coming in. Oh, um, we're afraid to walk on the street. We're afraid to go for a walk. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not so afraid because I'll dent someone's car if they hit me. Anyhow, so people are making those phone calls and asking, then why is it, you know, should we change our attire? Should we kind of try to blend in and make ourselves like, you know, everybody else and seem like, you know, we'll be, we'll be, uh, you know, uh, invited that way. Recognize every single person here. You have a place. Just like every race has a place here. Just like the indigenous allowed us. Just like despite what we've done, what our history has written, the books are written, despite everything, we are still standing on indigenous lands. And I will end by saying, all land is God's land. All land is God's land. And nobody lives on this land forever. Doesn't matter how powerful. Doesn't matter what kingdom. Doesn't matter what position you have. All people must perish. And the land belongs to whom? The land belongs to the Creator. So let's use it the way it ought to be used, taught to us by the Creator. Amen and God bless. Thank you very much. The reality is, you know, I'm a, I'm a scientist. Um, I'm a neuroscientist and science could have told us that all of this is predictable and would happen. What happened on Monday in London was predictable. We know direct effects of the media rhetoric, of the constant othering of marginalized groups, be it Muslims, be it black Canadians and Americans, be it the indigenous populations. That results in a dehumanization of these populations. Emil Bruneau, he's a, he's a famous, uh, he, we lost him too early, but he's a famous social conflict neuroscientist. And he came up with what's called the ascent of man scale, where on one end, there's a chimpanzee, and on the other, there's a man, as you would usually see on any evolution diagram. And then underneath it, he basically puts whatever category that he wants to study at that time. Black, Romani, and tribes in Europe, Muslims, Arabs, Asians, Chinese, and asks people where they would put them on this ascent of man scale. And you know, honestly, usually nobody accepts that they're a bigot or a racist, but here they actually somewhat honestly answer. And what he found is every time there's a media onslaught, for example, in the wake of the Boston Marathon bombing, that those ratings of whether a Muslim or an Arab was in fact human actually end up closer to the chimpanzee than the human. And so there's a direct line that can be drawn between the media rhetoric, the movies, the campaigns, the political campaigns over one piece of cloth that would be worn in a citizenship ceremony. 
and what happened on Monday. Just like there's a direct line that can be drawn between blaming the virus on China and the anti-Asian hate that we see here. Direct line that can be drawn between calling the Black Lives Matter protests riots, but the anti-masker, anti-lockdown protests just protests. These are direct lines that can be drawn. And so none of this is a surprise. None of this was unpredictable. None of this was, this is not us. This is us. This has been us. And this will continue to be us if we don't change something. If we truly want our Canada to be the Canada that everybody says is the best place to live, the most diverse place, the cultural mosaic, then we've got work to do. We've got work to do more than just words, and it needs to move to action. All of us have our own definitions of Islamophobia, right? We know what it is. It's this unfounded fear and hatred of Islam. But what I wanted to do a little bit more is tell you how Islamophobia manifests itself. Islamophobia is gendered. Islamophobia is gendered in that the men are stereotyped to be violent extremists and women are stereotyped to be subjugated. And as Ahmed mentioned before me, they are often the targets of this. Just today, just today, it's in the news, you can find it on any local news source. There was a vigil being held by the Coalition of Muslim Women. So we, you know, they can't even mourn in peace. And it was hijacked. Zoom jacked by people who were with homophobic slurs, anti-black, anti-Arab slurs, but specific violence against women who had organized it as well. And so that is something that we need to talk about. And just like, you know, as a scientist, I, I, my job is to look for patterns. And so when I see the van attacks in Toronto, when I see the trailer hitch being thrown in Thunder Bay, when I see three of the four victims, women, in London, you realize that the disease, the cancer within is the same. It's just three different symptoms that have shown up at, at different times. <laughs> you know, other patterns that show up, they all used cars, they were all young males. All of those things point to patterns that we need to open our eyes to. The second, is that Islamophobia is intersectional. You know, if you think me as a, you know, model minority male can complain about Islamophobia, then think of the black Muslims the indigenous Muslims, the black and indigenous Muslims who are not only surveilled because they're Muslims, but because they were being carded, that information is then shared and they end up taking the brunt of that. And so that's what we need to realize, that this has layers and these layers are not just impacting the lives of Muslims and the four people that have died, but all of us and the effects of it on the mental health of the entire Muslim population are possibly just as insidious as the deaths and the violent acts themselves. We haven't been able to see each other throughout the past year 
during Ramadan, during Eid, during Jum'ah, because of the pandemic of COVID-19. But it is evident that a pandemic of Islamophobia has been allowed to fester in Canada over the past year as well. To my Muslim brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is the reality we have to live in. I'm sorry that we have to think twice about whether it's safe or not to pray at the masjid. I'm sorry that we now have to look over our shoulders when we're out for a walk. I'm sorry to the parents who have to tell their children what and why this happened and who have to muster the courage to you know, explain to their children that they don't look too Muslim. Most of all, I'm sorry to nine-year-old Faiz who has to recover from his own injuries only to find out that the last memory he has of his family is of them getting mowed down in the name of unspeakable hate. But it doesn't have to be like this. Please, 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 do not give in to fear and silence that Islamophobic cowards want from us. Please continue to express your positive selves. Continue to build bridges across our community. Continue to respond to hate with kindness like we've always done. To my non-Muslim friends and community members, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your words and outpouring of support. It means a lot to all of us. But words are no longer enough. We need action from everyone, including you. We love and appreciate seeing your faces here and hearing your voices. But we need your support in the good times too. We need to know that we can rely on you to stand shoulder to shoulder with us during the good times, not only after we've been mowed down or shot up. As Muslims, if we are to police our own, educate ourselves and our youth on what is Islamic and non-Islamic, what it means to be Canadian and not Canadian, you hold that special responsibility as well. When speaking to other youth, we read about this coward who took away four innocent lives in disbelief. How can someone our age, seemingly so young, have so much pent up hate to the point that he decides that four people don't deserve to live? Let me tell you, hate like this does not grow or sprout overnight. Hate like this is pervasive. It, it festers over weeks, months, and years. And as much as this is a reflection of that murder, this is also a reflection of the people around him who didn't stand up for it, who, who, who because of their inaction, they chose to stay silent. They chose to let it pass. Four years ago, 91 members of parliament voted against motion 103, which was meant to denounce Islamophobia in all of its forms. Four years ago. This was not the 1940s, the 1980s, the early 2000s. This was 2017. If they didn't recognize what a threat Islamophobia is to all Canadians, will they finally recognize it now? We demand our politicians be and do better. Too many lives have already been lost because of their inaction and lack of care for our communities. We need more than empty promises. We need action. We need anti-Islamophobia legislation. We need nonpartisan cooperation to dismantle both violent and systematic Islamophobia that exists in our country, our Canada. We all have the responsibility to care for and protect each other. Not only does that mean holding our politicians accountable and voting for those who will actually do things rather than empty promises, 
but it also means holding ourselves and those around us accountable. Look around you. All of my sisters who wear hijab are the best representation of what it means to be Muslim in Canada. The open judgment, the vile looks, the vulgar language that they experience, all because of a simple headscarf. Letting these simple issues pass leads to bigger and deeper problems. To end, I want to speak to my fellow youth directly. When I look at this crowd, I see and feel hope. I see our different ages, different backgrounds, different experiences, and I know that the potential for greatness exists among all of us. But we need to act on that potential. If we truly have a vision for a better, safer, more accepting Canada, we need to realize that starting now. Become involved in your local communities and organizations. Vote your conscience when, when the time comes. Advocate for yourselves and seek to be the change that we all need for a better Canada. Thank you. And once again, that was voices from some of the Muslim members from our community. Hopefully, we will never have to talk about another hate crime again. I doubt we will be that lucky. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, to, to look at it another way, uh, during the break, we did look up to see if Drifters was an actual movie from 1976, and it turns out it is not. So, take No, but the band The Drifters were still around, so I'm not sure if they were Ben E. King and The Drifters at that point, but... <laughs> That's another branch of the whole tree, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we should get Devours on the show next week. They're like, what is this Drifters movie that you are referencing in this song that is on our charts and that we played the music and then we can't find any information about the Drifters? Who, 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 who are you trying to defend here, Devours? And they're not even here and I'm already like on my pulpit. Anyway, let's wrap up the show. <laughs> Cheering out the band you've never met. Yes. That's right. Uh, you can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook and Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to the show again, download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for Twitter? Twitter? Twilly And for all CFRU related <laughs> information, check out CFRU.ca. Schedules, times, shows, top 30 charts, and who knows, maybe the devourers will be number one next week. <laughs> After they get the open sources bump, of course. Yes. Anyway, Willie Dunn we'll... did. Willie Dunn, number one. There you go. Oh, well, case closed. Stay tuned. <laughs> DJ Sounds good to be here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another Open Sources. And we'll see you then. Yeah.